All right. Can you hear me? All right. Well, good evening. Well, I'll kill a little time while I'm putting this on. My wife always said I can talk all night about nothing. So we uh, thank you for coming out tonight. Take your Bibles with me tonight. Let's go to Jonah. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit tonight about the book of Jonah. And uh, I'm pretty sure probably every one of you here have heard messages preached from the book of Jonah. How many of you have never heard a message preached from the book of Jonah? Anybody? No, that's one of, it's a book that's preached a lot. Uh, I'm not sure that you've ever heard preached from Jonah what I'm going to preach tonight. Um, the Bible uh, is, is God's revelation of himself unto man. And all that we need to know and all that God wants us to know about himself uh, is found in the pages of this book. That being said, I believe there is something for us to learn about the nature and character of God in every book. So tonight, I want to use the book of Jonah, and I want to go there and see what we can learn from this book of Scripture, the book of Jonah, and see what God can reveal to himself about us from that book. Now, of course, the book of Jonah is a very popular story with many Christians, especially with children. Children love to hear the story of Jonah and the whale. And that seems to be the highlight of the book. It seems that Jonah's great journey in the whale is the highlight of everything uh, that's there. Um, And I have heard countless messages from the book of Jonah, all of which, every message I've ever heard, addresses the decisions of Jonah and the, the consequences of all his actions. However, primarily the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. Uh, This again is the reason so many of God's children today are focused on the wrong messages found in the Word of God. Uh, It's not about us. It's not about man. It's all about God. And the Bible was written, the entire book was written to glorify and magnify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose. And if we, if we find any scripture whereby we would, we would glorify man, then we've missed the intent of the scripture. We've missed the message of the Bible. Because the Bible isn't written to glorify man. It's written to glorify our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So given this, what can we learn about God from the story of Jonah? Now, I don't actually have a a context verse tonight. I don't actually have uh, a launching point, so we're not going to launch off by reading certain scriptures. We're just going to launch off by going into the book of Jonah and getting started. So what can we learn about God from this story of Jonah? Well, before I do that, um, uh, Mr. Evans was sharing a story with us there before church, and he was talking about a little boy in school, and the teacher was talking about how it's impossible for a, a fish or a whale to swallow a man. It just can't be. And the little boy said, well, I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And uh, he said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get Jonah to, to tell me all about it. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? He said, well, then you can ask him all about it and be okay. <laughs> but I want to read you a story here. When Mr. Evans mentioned that, I remembered I had this story, so I went and got it in my office. I want to read you a story about a modern Jonah. It, the, the article is entitled, 
a sailor swallowed by a whale. And this is a true story. It's actually documented history. Let me read it to you. The whaling ship Star of the East was in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands, searching for whales, which were very scarce. One morning, the lookout sighted a whale about three miles away on the starboard quarter. Two boats were manned. In a short time, one of the boats was near enough to enable the harpooner to send a spear into the whale, which proved to be an exceedingly large whale. The whale beat about with its tail in the maddest fashion. The boats attempted to get beyond the reach of the animal, which was apparently in its death agonies, and one of them succeeded, but the other was less fortunate. The whale struck it with his nose and upset it. The men were thrown into the water, and before the crew of the other boat could pick them up, one man drowned, and James Bartley had disappeared. When the whale became quiet from exhaustion, the waters were searched for Bartley, but he could not be found. And under the impression that he had been struck by the whale's tail and sunk to the bottom, the survivors rowed back to the ship. The whale was dead, and in a few hours the great body was lying by the ship's side, and the men were busy with axes and spades cutting through the flesh to secure the fat. They worked all day and part of the night. They resumed operations the next forenoon and were soon down to the stomach. The workmen were startled while laboring to clear it to discover something doubled up in it that gave spasmodic signs of life. The vast pouch was cut open and inside was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid out on the deck and treated to a bath of salt water which soon revived him. During the brief sojourn in the whale's belly, Bartley's skin, where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juices, underwent a striking change. His face and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness, and the skin was wrinkled, giving the man the appearance of having been parboiled. The whaling captains say that they never remember a parallel case to this before. They say that it frequently happens that men are swallowed by whales who become infuriated by pain of the harpoon and attack the boats. But they have never known a man to go through the ordeal that Bartley did and come out alive. Well, we know a man that went through that ordeal and did come out alive. His name is Jonah. We're going to talk a little bit tonight about the book of Jonah. And I want us to learn some things about God tonight from the book of Jonah. The first thing I want us to see tonight is I want us to see the purpose of God. From the book of Jonah tonight, we see the purpose of God. In Jonah chapter 1, the first two verses we read, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now I want you to notice the words, The word of the Lord came unto I did some research this week, and I found that 159 times in Scripture, we see reference to God's Word being declared unto a prophet or a person. And in each of these occurrences, God's Word came to man with a specific purpose. God didn't just come to say, well, howdy there. God didn't just walk up to man and say, You know, I'm bored in heaven. i got nothing to do. Can you and I just sit down and chat for a while? 
Every time we see in Scripture that the word of the Lord came to someone, it came with a purpose. It was to fulfill a purpose in accordance with God's determinate will. You see, we have been fed this notion in our churches in America today that God created us because He was lonely and needed companionship. Uh, We've been led to believe that God is just not complete without us. He just sits in heaven, hoping against all hope that someone on earth will accept Him as Savior. And then, once we accept Him as Savior, we will help Him to overcome His desperate loneliness by offering Him our fellowship. And so, because God is so lonely and needs our companionship so much, He just likes to sit down and chat with us. To just shoot the breeze, so to speak. But I submit to you tonight that every communication between God and man is with purpose. For a divine intent. When God speaks to man, He speaks to man for and with purpose. Now allow me to share with you, as I study the book of Jonah, allow me to share with you the purposes I see in God's call of Jonah to this task. First thing I see is I see he called Jonah to preach repentance to Nineveh. We read it a moment ago in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Here we see the sovereignty and the mercy of God. Now, I find it interesting here to note that God did not send one of His prophets to warn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah before their destruction. We don't find in Scripture that God sent a prophet to preach to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, God did send His angels. However, He sent His angels to remove Lot and his family, to spare His elect from the judgment to come. But God did not offer repentance to these wicked cities. Why not? I mean, after all, Nineveh is described as a city whose wickedness had come up before the Lord. So why did God choose to offer repentance to Nineveh and not to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, I would have to state that God did not intend to save the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. I would have to submit that his will for them was that they be consumed in their lusts and sins. Yet with Nineveh, it is different. With Nineveh, God intends to redeem. Now, I know that many in in our nation today would begin to hyperventilate over the statement I just made. They would all but faint at the notion that God denied Sodom and Gomorrah a chance to repent while obviously going above and beyond to get the message to Nineveh. Uh, But can I just tell you, it is what it is. God is God. He answers to no man. He's accountable to no man. God's actions are God's actions. And it is not for Him to justify to me what He does and what He does not do. Now, Jonah was called to go to this city. And he was called to preach to its inhabitants and to preach the message of repentance. In this, God demonstrates his sovereignty and his mercy. He withholds his wrath upon the people and sets his heart to their redemption. 
And in this we see election, and we see that election poured out upon the Gentile nations. The story of, of, the, of, the, the, uh, of salvation, redemption being offered to the Assyrian people, to the people of Nineveh, is of great value to you and I tonight. For we are not Jewish born, we are Gentiles, and this is evidence that God does and offer and redeem Gentiles. And this today is a lesson for us. It's a lesson in that God will save whom God will save. It is not for us to judge or to choose who is or is not worthy of hearing the gospel. And in this, God is wise. For if we knew who would repent, if we knew who the elect of God are, then we would probably withhold the gospel from those that we perceive as not being God's elect. But we do not know who is and who is not God's elect children. Therefore, we preach to all men. And we preach with urgency, knowing that the return of Christ is imminent. And we preach repentance from sin and belief in Christ. It is not for us to choose who does and does not get to hear the gospel. We are not to withhold the gospel message from any man that we meet. It is simply for us to preach to all whom God will send into our paths. When I was newly saved and a young Christian, I, I had a bus route and I would drive I had to drive past a little community every Saturday to get to my bus route to go visiting. And there was an elderly man who lived there. His name was Sam. And Sam used to work with my father. And as I drove to that bus route every Saturday, I would drive past Sam's house. And something inside of me said, go talk to Sam about, about Christ. Go talk to Sam about the Lord. But I would always say, ah, no, Sam's not interested. Sam wouldn't listen to me. Sam... Sam isn't going to listen to that. And I would drive by and keep on going. And on the way home, again, as I drove by Sam's house, I'd feel, this, I'd feel this compelling urge to go speak to Sam, but I'd find some reason to justify not going and talking to Sam. And over time, that urge to go speak to him got less and less and weaker and weaker until finally it disappeared. And one day I was, I was at my mother's home and she this was several months later, and she said, uh, Dalton, did you hear about Sam? I said, no, what about him? She said, they found him uh, in his house. He, he passed away. Now, I don't know whether Sam was, was ever saved or not, but this much I do know. God wanted me to go and preach to him, and I didn't obey. If God desired to save Sam, then Sam was saved, but I failed to obey. And I'll, I'll confess tonight, it was due to my fears and my inhibitions. I was afraid to go talk to him. I was afraid to go and speak to him. And this leads me to my next thought as to uh, why God called the purpose in God's call, and that is to teach compassion to Jonah. Nineveh was a wicked city. It was a city hated by the Jewish nation. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were a heartless and cruel and evil people, and they were great enemies of Israel. I believe God's purpose in calling Jonah was to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh, 
Yet Jonah did not want the people of Nineveh to repent. He did not want God to have mercy on these people. Jonah no doubt hated this heathen city and its inhabitants. Yet this attitude violates every principle of God's word. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, we read, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Now think about this for a moment. God had hundreds, perhaps thousands of preachers to choose from. Yet he chose to call Jonah to this work. Why? I thought about that. I thought about that this week. Why Jonah? Was it a matter of convenience? Was it because Jonah was just around the corner? No. The distance between Joppa and Nineveh was approximately 620 miles as the crow flies. In, in this day, man could travel a distance of approximately 12 miles a day on foot over the mountainous country of Israel. It would have been a 70-day journey for Jonah. Now, we are not told in the Scripture how far from Joppa Jonah was when he received the call from God. However, it is reasonable to assume he was closer to Joppa than to Nineveh. This would have been a very long and difficult journey for Jonah. It would have been one with many roads he had never traveled. It would no doubt be a very, very dangerous journey to undertake. Therefore, I would have to assume it was not for convenience sake that God called Jonah to this task. Perhaps it was a matter of admonition, a matter of edification. Perhaps Jonah needed to learn how to love his enemies. Perhaps Jonah needed to put away the hatred and bitterness in his own heart for these people. Now, we know that Jonah did not want the Ninevites to repent. For in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. In other words, Jonah said, I didn't want to go because I knew you were going to save them, and I don't want them to be saved. I don't like them. I want them to die and burn in hell. That was Jonah's opinion. Maybe this is why God chose to use Jonah for this task. To teach Jonah to love. To teach Jonah to trust the will of the Lord. And in this, God accomplished two important things. He, he accomplished the preaching of repentance to those he had chosen, and he, cho and he, he edified his servant and taught him to love. And maybe, tonight, Christian, maybe, just maybe, God calls you and me to tasks that are not pleasant. 
Maybe we need to learn to love even those we do not believe we can love. Maybe we need to learn to forgive those that we feel we cannot forgive. And in God's purpose in calling Jonah, I see two things. I see the purpose of preaching repentance to the Ninevites and to teaching compassion to the heart of Jonah. And tonight, you and I receive calls from the Lord, and we need to search the purpose. Lord, this is something I need. Teach me what you would have me to learn. But also in this story of Jonah, I see a second thing, and that is I see the power of God. The power of God. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, we read, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Now, I have heard some say that Jonah thought he could run away from God. But I don't think that I can agree with that statement tonight. I don't think Jonah was trying to run away from God. I think Jonah was running away from God's will, from the will of God for his life. This, too, is evident from Jonah's comments in chapter 4 and verse 2. Again, where he said, and and he prayed unto the Lord, uh, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. I think that Jonah knew that God would see him in Tarshish and that God could reach him in Tarshish. I don't, I don't think that a prophet of God had enough, was so foolish as to believe he could, he could hide from God. Jonah knew God was going to see where he was, and Jonah knew that God could reach him where he was. I believe that Jonah was hoping, though, that by running away, God would find someone else to go to Nineveh. And so it is with many Christians today. They run from God's will for them, hoping that God will just let them go and find someone else to take their place. It seems like they think if they run far enough that God will give up, that they can get far enough from the will of God to keep God from being able to use them. But in this, we see one of the most brilliant truths about God revealed. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, we read, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Now, in this also, we must not foolishly think that man has control. Jonah had no power to escape the will of God. And further, the Lord knew Jonah's reaction to all of this before he called him to this task. Do you think that God sat in heaven after Jonah took off? And looked over at Jesus and said, well, I sure didn't expect that. No, of course not. When God said, Jonah, go preach in Nineveh, and Jonah took off, God didn't say, huh, well, look at that. What do we do now? That's not what the Lord did. God knew that Jonah was going to run. But God also knew that he was going to bring glory to himself in all of this. God demonstrated his awesome power. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27, we read, But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obeyed him? God's power is immeasurable. It knows no limit. There is nothing too hard for God. No, we cannot run far enough or fast enough to frustrate the will of God. 
And in this, God is teaching Jonah that he, Jonah, cannot resist the will of God. In this, God will teach Jonah that the only thing that he can do by attempting to resist the will of God is add more trouble and problems to his own life. Imagine with me, if you will, the foolish and needless problems Jonah faced in this. Trapped in the belly of a whale for three days. We read a moment ago how this one man's skin had been, had been whitened and wrinkled and pruned. Can you imagine Jonah, what he looked like after three days in the belly of the whale? Can you imagine probably the physical problems Jonah faced for the remainder of his life because he was trapped in that whale for three days? Can you imagine? just imagine it? And all of this came about because he tried to resist God's will. But not only he, but also the men that were on board ship with him. He brought heartache and trouble upon those men as well. Oh yes, don't forget, when we resist God, we do not suffer alone. Our family suffers with us. You husbands in this room tonight. When you resist the Lord, not only do you suffer, but your wife suffers and your children suffer and your entire family suffers with you. Who do you think will pay for the problems that we're facing in America today? It's our children and our grandchildren. Let me remind you, the selfishness and the self-centeredness of the Father is always paid for. By the sons. Remember Achan. His lust for material things cost him more than he bargained for. The consequences of his sin did not belong to him alone. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Achan, if you remember the story, when Israel conquered Jericho. God said, all that is within the city is mine. Do not t- you couldn't touch any of it. Any, any, of the, any of the material goods could not be touched. They were all to be sacrificed and given unto the Lord. They were His to, to, to have. And in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, we read, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing, For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now go with me to chapter, um, stay in chapter 7, go with me to verses 4 and 5. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Israel, uh, after conquering great Jericho, went to the little city of Ai, and 36 men died. And 36 men died because of Achan's. Chapter 7, 24 and 25, after, after God had revealed to Joshua who, who had sinned. Look at, look at what the Bible states here in verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, 
and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned him with fire. And they had stoned them after they had stoned them with stones. And I want you to see something here. Achan's family paid for Achan's sin. And when we fail to obey the Lord, men, when we, when we try to resist the will of God, mark it down, we will not pay for that alone. Those that we love dearest and care about the most, we will subject them to the suffering of our actions. And Jonah learned that the power of God's hand can reach as far and as fast as he could run. And God's power is revealed to Jonah and to all that read this story even today. Then thirdly tonight, I want us to see concerning the Lord, I want us to see the protection of God. The protection of God. In Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, let's go back to Jonah and let's go to chapter 2. And in verse 1 we read, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now look at verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Now look at verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Boy, I'd like to have been a fisherman on that beach, amen? Can you imagine standing there with your pole in the water, and all of a sudden you see this big old whale beach himself, and then he goes, Bwah! And out comes a bald-headed Jewish man who's bleached white as snow. He's been in the belly for three days. He gets up, looks around, and says, Hey, buddy, which way is Nineveh? I'm going there. Oh, I'd, have loved to have been. I'd have loved to have been on that beach. Now, don't fail to see this here. This is, this is very important. God did not forsake Jonah. Even in the belly of the fish, God was with Jonah. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, we read, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, we read, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now please understand this very carefully. Jonah and the whale was not punishment. God was not punishing Jonah. How many of you have ever heard the saying, God's laws are their own enforcers? Any of you ever hear that? The law of sowing and reaping? God does not punish us. Our own actions do that. But when we fail to obey the Lord, 
when we are Christ, when we fail to be Christ-like in our walk, that's when we suffer want and need. That's when we suffer lack. But when we are faithful to obey the Lord, and when we are Christ-like in our walk, God blesses us and causes us to abound. This was not a punishment. It was an object lesson. When I was, when I was a little bitty tyke, my dad had a lawnmower and it didn't run very well. So every time he started it, he had, to, he had to reach down and reach up under the carburetor and grab the set screw, and he had to twist the screw to get it to idle. And I was probably no bigger than Samuel and Benjamin, and I thought I could do that too. So every now and then I'd go to reach down there, he'd say, don't touch that, because it was right next to the muffler. Don't touch that, it's hot. And of course, being the stubborn hard head that I was, I continued to persist. So finally, my father stepped back and stood there and watched me as I reached down and burned my hand on the muffler. And I was screaming and yelling, ah, I thought I was dying. And my dad taught me an object lesson, one I didn't soon forget. To this day, I won't mess with a lawnmower. I hate lawnmowers. And God taught Jonah an object lesson here. And I guarantee you it's one that Jonah didn't soon forget. God was teaching Jonah. Now, allow me to elaborate for a moment. After studying the commentary notes of men such as John Gill and Matthew Henry and Barnes, I've come to the conclusion, and I believe, that Jonah had a fear in obeying this call of God. He had a fear about Nineveh. It was Jonah's fear that compelled him to attempt to run from the will of God. Perhaps he feared the reactions of his own people. Remember, the Assyrians were hated by the Jews, and maybe, just maybe, Jonah feared the reaction of his people if he went and preached to Nineveh. Perhaps he feared the people of Nineveh itself and what they may do to him if he came to them preaching the word of God. I do not know, but one thing I do know is that Jonah trusted in the providence of God. That much I know. And I know this because in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 5, we, we read, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he, and, and he lay and was fast asleep. Now listen, I'm from Louisiana. I've been through a few storms on the sea, and I can tell you this much. Nobody goes into the hull of the ship and goes to sleep in the middle of a storm. But Jonah did. You see, Jonah knew that this storm was the work of the Lord. And further, he knew that God was working his will in his life. And this did not frighten Jacob or Jonah. In Romans 8.28, remember, we read and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, I imagine here that at this point, Jonah knows that he's messed up. Everybody says, boy, did I ever do it this time. I'm in for it now. He knew that he would have to face the consequences of his actions, but as King David, I believe that Jonah trusted the mercy of God more than he trusted the mercy of God. 
of man. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, after David sinned by numbering the people, and God pronounced a judgment upon, upon David, we read, So Gad came unto David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. In other words, God gave David a choice. And in verse 14, we read, And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall, let us, uh, fall now into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of men. Now listen, Christian, if you are facing trouble tonight, do not fear. If you are not sure of the path that lies ahead of you, do not worry. If it be God's will, he will spare you of that trial. But if not, be of good cheer, for it is the Lord that works in our life, and his mercies are great. God, I believe, is trying to show Jonah that he does not need to fear anything nor anyone. He can go forward and obey the call of God without fear and without reservation. For if God be with us, then nothing can stop us. In Romans 8.31 we read, What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? Over the years there have been people that have tried to harm this church. People that have tried to say things and do things to harm this church. And I've repeatedly told the pastor, fear not and worry not. For if God is with us, if we are doing the will of God, then no, no force on earth can, can, can stop us. If God is with us, who can be against us? Jonah learned that, God, that he learned that the God that preserved him in the belly of the fish could use him to preach his word. And this is the message to us tonight. The message is God is able and God will do. Don't be afraid to live for God tonight. Trust Him to work out all the things in your life. And then lastly tonight, and quickly, number four, we see the patience of God. Now, at the beginning of this story, we saw that Jonah was trying to outlast God. He fled to Tarshish, hoping that God would get frustrated with him and just get someone else to go preach to the Ninevites. But that didn't happen. God called Jonah told him to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. Jonah did not, and he tried to run away, but he was running from God's will. So God brewed up a storm and prepared a great fish. This fish swallowed Jonah and transported him to the place of the Lord's design. Then the fish vomited Jonah out onto the beach. And now we are back to where we began. Jonah wasted all that misery and time, and he's right back where he started from. Look at Jonah chapter 3 with me now. And look at verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Oh, yes, God is patient. He didn't give up on Jonah. He patiently dealt with Jonah, bringing him through the fish's belly, but bringing him nonetheless. You see, we are foolish to think that God is running out of time. God does not exist within time. 
so he can wait as long as it takes. What about Samson? God didn't give up on Samson either. Even after Samson disobeyed and dishonored God, God never gave up on him. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 22, we read, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And that symbol of Samson's submission to the Lord grew back. And Samson learned that it is God that was the source of his strength, not his hair. He could have as long a hair as he wanted. That hair was a symbol of Samuel's submission. That's all it was. His hair didn't make him strong. God made him strong. And Jonah realized that it was God who was able to cause him to do all that he had to do. And Jonah has now learned that God's will shall be done. But for Jonah to learn this, he had to experience life in the digestive system of a fish for three days and three nights. And through all of this, God worked in the life of Jonah, bringing him to an understanding and an acceptance of his will for them. You see, this is why God is the perfect teacher. He never grows weary of teaching us truth. And he does not spare for our crying, nor for our fears. He calls us with a purpose, a purpose that satisfies both his plans and our needs. He calls us in power, a power that is available to us when we work in his name. He calls us under his protection. All fears are removed, for it is his hand that leads us. And he calls us in patience. A patience that is not bound by time nor by circumstances. So tonight, I pray that we will learn what Jonah learned without having to go through what Jonah went through. That God has a purpose for us. And he will sometimes call us into a task that does not seem pleasant, that, may, that we may be afraid of, that may seem unjust and unfair, but in all of this, God has a purpose that meets His divine need and a purpose that meets our need as well. He has the power to see it through. He has the power to protect us. He has the patience to work and and guide and lead us. So tonight, let us learn As King Solomon wrote in his wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. The book of Jonah is all about God. It's all about how the Lord works in our lives. How the Lord himself works with us, through us, and by us. So let's go away from this place tonight with a confidence, with a courage to live for God in this time, 
with no fear, and with a purpose in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this night. And I pray, Lord, that the words that were spoken would be profitable to us, not because of who spoke them, but because of the word that was spoken, and that is your word. Strengthen us, we pray, as we live for you day by day. Guide us and lead us in this church as we labor, that we might accomplish all that you have called us to do, and that you might teach us how to be more like Christ in all that we do. And we love you and we thank you for all these things, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right.